Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L. B. Swenson. I am so excited today to be joined by my dearest friend, Dr. Rhoda Woolley, in an episode that I'm calling Singleness as a Calling. So Dr. Rhodey, Rhodey, Rhodey. Woolley, Rhodey, and all this kind of. Rhoda, it's about time you join me on my podcast, is it not? 100%. Thank you so very much for, this is going to be fun. I'm so looking forward to this opportunity to spend time with you and talk with you. And I always love our chats and uh, to be able to be a part of something that you treasure so much is really special for me. So thank you for the invitation. Uh, ditto. I feel the same. So I didn't prepare an introduction for those people who don't know you, which is almost nobody. I can assure you of that because I was at the leadership conference with you and we stopped every three feet. No one knew me. No one. There was not one person who was like, Amber, Amber, hey, hold on. Everybody, Rhoda, 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 Rhoda. Thank so you for the exaggeration. But <laughs> So there might be two people listening who have never heard of you or what you do. So could you please describe yourself? Sure. Uh, so I come from a background of education. I started out as a high school teacher and then uh, started gravitating towards kids at risk and into the counseling world. And then through a roundabout way, ended up... Um, in higher ed at Wisconsin Lutheran College in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I served for 14 years as professor of education and then dean of student success and faculty development. So I was there for 14 years where I served on the board for an organization called Kingdom Workers, which is a Christian humanitarian uh, ministry. And a year and a half ago, I switched and I now serve full-time at Kingdom Workers as their vice president of organizational development. So yeah, and you had a very colorful path to get into teaching. And so just describe that briefly. Yeah, I rarely do things like the straight plan it out, follow a plan. That's not doesn't seem to be kind of how my life is has worked its way through. But to to it's been a blessing because God knows where He wants me to be and I don't. So it's been fun to follow. You know, um I started out, I grew up in Arizona and went to Arizona Lutheran Academy, and really, upon graduation from high school, wanted to move to Nashville, Tennessee, and play music. Uh, I had been playing in bands. I played drums and guitar and sang and wrote music, and I really just wanted to like work in the music industry and write music and be a backup musician and travel on a bus with my besties and just thought that would be what I would want to do. And so my parents weren't thrilled about me moving across the country at the age of 18. Shocking. Yeah. And I to be a musician. I'm not your typical drummer necessarily, but um, so then I grew up right next to Arizona State University and my parents, I'm a first generation, nobody in my family's ever gone to college, much less graduated and that's cousins and, you know, the whole group and my parents are kind of trying to buy some time said, why don't you go to school for a few years, just get a little more experience under your belt. So I was a communication major at Arizona State and from there I got an internship at a local TV station and after doing that for a while, um, just thought, man, I just want to go to Nashville. So when I was 21, I moved to Nashville and I did the typical, you know, waitressing and playing your songs at night and trying to meet people and network and all of that. And eventually I was blessed to work for a record company and got to kind of see the back backside of it, the business of it. And uh, soon came to realize that it's not hanging out with your besties playing music. It's a very cutthroat uh, business. Um, yeah. And so I just thought, man, I just, I don't think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is all I've ever wanted to do. I, di I didn't have a plan B. So I just really started praying about, Lord, this is what I wanted to do. 
but that's not the case anymore. So what do you want me to do? And there actually in our old hymnal, the old red hymnal, there was a little prayer in the front of it called for proper use of God's gifts. And I started saying that prayer every day. And it's something to the effect, I should have it memorized, but something to the effect of, Lord, everything I have is a gift from you. My time, my talents, my abilities, help me to use them in service to others. I just started saying that prayer every day. And I just like landed on, I, I remember the moment when it hit me. Um, I should. I had had a couple of teachers in high school who had had a tremendous impact on me. And I thought, what a great way to spend my life, hanging out with young people and helping them figure out how the Lord has gifted them and how they can use those gifts in service to others. So I went back to Martin Luther College when I was 27. I graduated from college on my 31st birthday. So I'm kind of a late bloomer. <laughs> Not at all. You're wonderful. Um, you know what's funny about that is you were saying that I think you made a terrific decision because there is nothing cutthroat about you. Like no. as, as I think about you, you're one of those people who's like, all right, guys, let's all do this. Like, let's build each other up and everybody do. In fact, thriving is like one of your huge things. And it's not like yeah. I want to thrive. It's like, how can I make you thrive? So yeah. good choice yeah. to get out of that industry. God knew what I needed better than I did. Yeah, for sure. And then when did you go back for your PhD? See, I graduated when I was 40. So I would have been 37 when I went back to get my PhD. Mm, yeah, I think that's, that's nice to know, because I have young daughters right now. And my daughter who's graduating is like, I have no idea what I want to do. Well, it's mm. not that uncommon, actually. No, a lot of us didn't know what we wanted to do. And a lot of us are still trying to figure out what we want to do. So it's not, you know, a crazy thing to just be open to wherever God puts you for this season. Actually, when I was at the, the dean at the college, I spent most of my days talking to young people. And oftentimes there were people who were like, I don't know, I'm spending all this money and I don't know what I want to yeah. do and helping them sort through that. And really, truly, uh, most like over half of the people who come into college thinking they know what they want to do, switch. Yeah. Um, that's what this time in life is, is to figure out what your where, where your gifts are, where they lie, how you use them, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. Uh, we learn mm -hmm. from all of that. Right. For sure. That's exactly what I... What I told my daughter is just take a whole bunch of classes, figure out mm -hmm. if any of them seem good. And it, you'll find out sometimes what you don't like, which is as important as what you do like. But good advice, mom. I think I've heard I've heard that from somebody. <laughs> I sometimes hang around people and what they say rubs off on me. So Rhoda, has being single affected your identity at all? Sure. It's, it's a part of my identity um, or it's an aspect of my identity. But, uh, you know, Amber, you've heard me talk about this dozens of times. I really, when I think of identity, my favorite section of scripture is Ephesians 2, because I think that just sets it out for us so very clearly. So when I take my very last breath, you know, I'm done with this life. Uh, what part of my identity is actually going to live on? What remains? Mm -hmm. Does it matter if I was single or married after I've died? Does it matter if I had children or didn't have children? Does it matter if I had a home or didn't have a, had a home or what country I was born in? Or do, does any of that remain my identity once I'm in heaven? Mm -hmm. I think the only part that remains my identity is that I'm a redeemed child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus. So that's my identity. That's my eternal identity. Yes. The, other the other stuff is circumstances. It might mm -hmm. be good. It might be challenging. It might be a blessing. It might be hard. Um, but they're just things. That's just, that's just stuff. That's not who I am. That's not the core of who God made me to be. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, does single play into that? 100%. You know, does it, 
yes, I'm I'm single. Um, but that to me, there's not a judgment in that. That's not a good. That's not a bad. It's just my circumstance. Right. It's not my mm-hmm. like a part of who I am. You're so comfortable and confident in who you are. Was there stages in your life that you weren't? Was being single ever a disadvantage to you? Mm, I think my mom was really, really good at training me up to Mm. focus on assets, you know, on, on what you have, to be grateful for what you have, to use what you have instead of complaining about what you don't. And so, um, and she just lived that. She just was that. And so when you are influenced by that, it it just rubs off on you. Uh, It's just part of who you are. So um, really, truly, I mean, sure. Are there times when it's challenging to be single? Uh, 100%. Are there times when it's challenging to be married? 100%, right? No, Rhoda, no, no. (laughs) Yes. The way I, I'm sorry. The way I look at it, being married is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, when God is trying to explain what the relationship between Jesus and me is, he talks about a marriage, right? He talks yeah. when Jesus in the church, he uses a marriage. What a beautiful, tremendous, wonderful thing. That's really hard. So being mm-hmm. married is beautiful and wonderful, but difficult. Being single yeah. is beautiful, wonderful, with really interesting benefits and can be really hard. So it's yeah. kind of like, just how do I just be content with whatever God's given me? If he's given me a husband and children to be completely content in that and not long for something I don't have. And if I'm single, what do I have? What assets do I have? How do I use that to be a blessing to the people around me? And in doing that, bring glory to God and be content in that instead of longing for something that he hasn't given me. I have learned very much in my life and I've learned to trust him that he knows best. And if he, I'm not opposed to being married, um, I figure when I find somebody, if there's a man that ever comes into my life who together we can serve the Lord better than I can solo, I'm up for that. But am I going to sit around and wait and long for that? And, you know, no, it's just, what do I have today? And how, because today's what I have. So yeah. the only yeah. time I'm lonely, I find, is when I'm not enjoying my own company or the company of the people God's placed around me. And then I have to stop and say, okay, that means I'm not enjoying God's company either because he's always with me. So with a little self-reflection, I can usually get recalibrated. I didn't know that that came from your mother because that is really a core of your being. As much Mm -hmm. as your identity and how strong you are on identity and what that is and that it's rooted in who you are in Christ, I would say that contentment factor is just such a core part of who you are. Like, I'm not looking at what I don't have. I'm focusing on everything that I have and I'm going to use it to God's glory and the rest, it, I mean, if I needed it, God would have put it in my life. I've, I've heard you say that I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that came from your mom. That came from mom. And I think another thing that came from both of my parents that's really been a blessing, I mean, so many things have been a blessing from them. I kind of, I, I consider I won my... I consider that I won the parent lottery. <laughs> I just, yeah. by God's grace, I had two really loving, caring Christian parents. And um, my both of my parents really were authentic Like they Mm -hmm. never tried to be something or prove something. They just were who they were. And what happened was what happened. So, you know, I think you could go back to my high school friends and I've always been blessed to have lots of friends, but it was never, I would just like, I never felt I had to be something to fit in. And I think that's also really something that I inherited. I I saw my parents do that and just was a really good lesson. Just be who you are and the people who like you will like you. Right. And you're not everybody's cup of tea. That's what you taught me. You won't be. So don't try to be because there's all kinds of people in the world. So if they don't like you, don't 
feel bad about it. If they don't want to be your friend, don't feel bad about it. Just move on because God's put lots of people in your life who want to be your friend. You can be the most beautiful, wonderful cup of tea in the world. And if somebody doesn't like tea, they don't like you. <laughs> you can't make them. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So I want to try to get back to, um, I have a single friend. She's in her 30s. And getting set up by friends is just a nightmare. You know, they're always, mm. people are always trying to set her up. And part of that makes her feel like, so I'm not good enough on my own. I mean, like, mm -hmm. do you think I'm not complete or do you? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about that? And did people do that to you? I'm trying to, I'm asking this because part of my goal for this podcast is to help married people understand mm. that single people can be completely fulfilling, uh, have a fulfilling life, feel very complete. It's not our job to fix them or try to make their job, their life, what we think it should be. So how do you feel about the whole setting up thing? Well, first off, thank you for your empathy and your compassion and trying to help all of us understand every, all this dynamic of messy, lovable humans better. Um, mm -hmm. I, it has never been a big issue for me. I haven't, I haven't had a lot of close friends who have tried to set me up. There's been a few. Um, and I don't take it as a, first off, yes, we are 100% complete on our own, right? God sent a helpmate for Adam. But then there's also examples in scripture where Paul and, and other people throughout scripture were alone. And, and that's either way is okay, you know? And so it's not like we, like you said, need to fix anything or make anybody better. Like, oh, they're not really happy. They're just acting like they're happy. Mm -hmm. There's no way they could really be happy. I can 100% assure you that 99% of the time I am absolutely 100% content with being single. And I know. I mean, I really am. I mean, our holidays sometimes, you know, like instead of like having the built in, this is what I'm doing on a holiday. So I tell I sometimes have to think, who am I spending my holiday with? But I, but as having lots of friends and family, you've got options with that. So there again, how bad is that? Right. It's all how you look at things. So, um, most of the time I am 100% content with what God has given me. Now, when a friend tries to set me, I think most of my friends know me well enough mm -hmm. that they, they know that I don't, need to date for the sake of dating. I don't need to be right. married for the sake of being married. They know that I really strongly believe when I find somebody that truly I believe is a man of God and together, there's a, there's a really neat analogy that I learned one time that um, is like a perfect relationship with God is like a triangle. And so God's up here, you're here, and your potential spouse is here. And sometimes your, your relationship with God might be fine, but your potential spouse isn't. And so mm -hmm. it's just off, right? And so you want to get it to where both of both of your relationships with God are just right, and then your relationship with each other is just right, and then you have a beautiful, perfect union. You don't, I don't want this, right? And so I figure I am better off this with me and God being solid than this for me. And so I just, um, I really believe that uh, if somebody's trying to set me up with somebody that knows me well, they really know kind of what's important to me. And it just doesn't happen <laughs> very often. So, but if somebody was repeatedly trying to set me up and it was uncomfortable, I think I would just have a conversation with that friend, you mm -hmm. know, and just, just let them know, do you, is it, are you uncomfortable that I'm single? <laughs> is my singleness affecting you? Am I too happy? Did you, did you want to do something to make me a little less happy? Because 
everyone who knows you, Rhoda, like we have to work on envy around you because you travel <laughs> the world and do all this crazy stuff. I'm very, stuff. very blessed. <laughs> but I think what you said is something that's really important to highlight because what you said in so many words is it's better to be in no relationship than the wrong relationship mm -hmm. because the wrong relationship can affect your relationship with God. You can be putting time, energy into fixing this person or trying to make this relationship, you know, what it isn't. Mm -hmm. And so you have learned and you have seen that it's better to be in no relationship than to be in the wrong relationship, which is a huge thing for people to learn. It is super well said. My older brother is, um, it's kind of crazy. Sometimes we joke about, he's been in love so many times. He falls okay. so big and so hard and so heavy. He's been married multiple times. I think I have yet to truly fall in love. I, I don't think, I'm like, how can it happen to you so many times? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, God's got a plan here somehow, but we joke yeah. about that. And he one time said, Rhoda, the only thing worse than being lonely is being lonely with somebody else in the room. Yeah. And he says, if you're in a bad relationship and you're alone, you're lonely, you're alone. There's nothing you can do. You as a single person have so much time and energy to invest in other relationships, whether that be with God or with friends or with family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, usually if I'm lonely, it's of my own choosing. You know, there's, there's, and I think oh, that's- Oh, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> there's a long line. Some of us have gone to great lengths to get into your life. So yeah, no, you, I agree. You flatter me, my friend. But no, truly, it's, um, it's a matter of just, I think, again, they're being being content. And so yeah, I think having a heart to heart with a friend, if, if it's making you uncomfortable, that's what I would do is just if they're a good friend, you can just be honest with them. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, for sure. So some people will assume that to have a fulfilling life in God's world, that it is it includes a marriage, mm -hmm. it includes children and grandchildren. But like I said, you're living one of the most productive, fulfilling, joy-filled lives of anyone I know. So sometimes if that's what people are thinking, and if they have this idea of, which, and let's, let's be clear that a lot of people, marriage is the plan. There, mm -hmm. there is a great deal of people that marriage is the plan. So we don't want to bash marriage. Right. But that idea of fulfillment being tied to marriage. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that when you were younger? You've kind of said your mom kind of in, in yeah. instilled in you this contentment. Did you feel that from the church specifically? I'm wondering specifically people at the church or when you went to the church or messages or being left mm -hmm. out as a single person, did you ever sort of feel that singleness wasn't fulfilling? I think that we have to be careful with expectations because expectations can really set us up for disappointment um, mm -hmm. and they can really be Satan's playground. So somewhere in our world, we have put out the message that we deserve to like fall madly in love and live happily ever after. It's Disney, right? I mean, it's every Disney movie. It, <laughs> it's every right? rom-com, it's every right. And right. It's, God never promises us that. You know, and so then you can find a really good, healthy marriage and still not feel like it's that and be disappointed and think there's mm -hmm. something out there better. And, you know, you can you can go to a church and be have expectations of how the church should should treat you and be disappointed yeah. or say, you know, I was a single called worker. I know a lot of called workers have said because we don't have kids at home, we're expected to be at everything, oh. do everything, you know, and, it, you know, 
Sure. My, my experience has been such that, and I can't speak for anybody else, but just for myself, that my expectations and what I expect are so very, very important. If it, I just try to remind myself on a daily basis, it's not about me. It's about God and his glory. He put me here. He has the plan. I could have been born at any time in any civilization. You know, this is where he wants me to be. He has a plan for it. In the morning, when I spend my daily time with him, one of my prayer requests is, Lord, just how do you want to use me today to your glory? This is all your plan. And I'm not in control of anything. You're in control of everything. Adjust my thoughts and feelings. So my actions bring glory to you. And so if I go into church with that kind of expectation, I'm not as likely to be disappointed because instead of it being about us, it's about all of us, you know? Yeah. And so if we as a church can just meet people where they're at, I think Paul talks about now there is ne in Jesus, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, married or single. I mean, we are, our identity is as a follower of Jesus is a, and, and, he gets to decide what blessings he gives us. We don't. And mm -hmm. so how do we just meet people where they're at and walk with them and love them? And so I don't know, to me there, again, if I get to know people in the church, I don't feel like I'm treated poorly or in any different way. There might be people who I don't know well, who, but it, just, it hasn't been a big deal for me, but, but so much of it is walking into it saying, what can I give instead of what can I get? I'm going there to worship, going there to yeah. serve. So have you been pretty good at boundaries? Because I know you have served on a lot of committees, a lot of boards. So as a single person who spent a great deal of your career in calls, mm -hmm. at, did you get good at boundaries? Like this much I can give, but I mean, I need this time too, or... Yeah, I think I think I'm relatively. I have one friend who tells me Rhoda, no is a complete sentence. You need to say it more often. <laughs> um, but I think I've gotten better at that with age. I've I've gotten better at discerning what my gifts are and what somebody's yeah. else's gifts are. And so it's gotten easier for me to say no because I truly know that there's somebody out there that can do that better than me. And mm -hmm. and I wouldn't enjoy it and I wouldn't be that good at it. And so then that makes it easier. But I'm like curious about a lot of stuff. I like people. I like to meet. I like to talk. I, you know all that. So it's easy to say sure I'll do that. But yeah. then eventually you're saying sure to too many things and you can't do stuff well. So I guess life has kind of taught me that yeah, you have to pick and choose the stuff that you really love so that you can invest more into it. Yep. That was one of the biggest first lessons that I learned from you when we went through our mm -hmm. In God's Orchard book mm -hmm. and you did the, the chapter on joy. Mm -hmm. And you said, you know, when you're doing the things that you are uniquely called to do in God's kingdom, you're usually filled with joy. Yeah. But when you're doing all these other things that you're not uniquely gifted to do, that's usually when you experience that frustration and stress and you're like, what? This is so much work. I don't. And huge eye-opening lesson to me to, to stop mm -hmm. doing the things that I am not called to do, focus on the things that I am gifted to do and be full of joy as you do it and leave those spots open for other people. That was yeah. That was monumental for me to learn back in 2020. Awesome. As my little test my test for that is the happy heart, right? Yeah. I, like God doesn't need me. He doesn't need anybody. He could accomplish everything without any of us, but he wants to work with us and through us. And so mm -hmm. I can serve him any way I want, but what he wants is a happy heart. And so yeah. if I'm doing something with resentment or grudging or uh, mm -hmm. that's not... That, you know, he he wants yeah. a happy heart. And so right. that means I can say no to some stuff. And there's somebody else that can do that with a happy heart. Please right. don't ask me or probably Amber to bake. <laughs> no, 
Well, maybe you you could bake. You you you. Yeah, but hospitality is like my lowest on the spiritual gift inventory, and I'm remembering that very very clearly as I'm preparing for my daughter's graduation open house. I'm like, I am not gifted. This is not fun. I just my sister's really good at that, and she enjoys that. Yeah. And there are people I hear that do that, that, that enjoy that. I am just not one of them, but I have four children and I shall get through it with a happy heart, Rhoda, as I'm weeding. (laughs) Yes. So I want to know when and if there was a distinctive shift for you, because thriving is a huge part of who you are and what you teach other people to do. Some people might not be super um, in tune to the concept of thriving, which has been a big part of your career and what you help people to do. So just tell us exactly what that is. What? Why do we care about wanting to thrive? Yeah, great question. So you might have heard in the past about happiness research, like what are the what are the things that make people happy? What are the happiest countries? Um, sometimes you'll hear about wellness research. There's a whole body of research that looks into people who are doing well regardless of their circumstances. And so the term that's kind of coming to the forefront is thriving. And it's the term that I like because it just seems richer and fuller than happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, happiness, you know, I get really happy when I see a puppy, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that I'm doing okay. Right. So, um Thriving are those common characteristics, those things that that people are doing that help them to be well, have a sense of okay wellness, regardless of their circumstances. Mm. So was there a shift when you started focusing on thriving versus the expectations? So I got into the thriving in my professional life through helping students be successful and trying to look at the research on what causes some people to be successful and what's how come some people aren't, some people aren't. And when I started looking at the common characteristics of people who are doing really well, regardless of their circumstances. So, you know, Jesus promises us, you know, that we're going to have problems, right? Uh, In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome, right? We are going to have problems. But the people who are doing well, that they have a sense of peace, wholeness. Amber, you know, I like the word shalom. Um, If if you and I would have met Jesus back in the day and he greeted us, he would have said shalom. And we sometimes think like, peace, right? But it's that, but it's so much more than that. It's a a wish. It's a prayer for wholeness, prosperity, completeness. I think of the Garden of Eden as shalom. That's what Jesus wishes for us, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like how do we get as much shalom here in this lifetime as followers of Jesus and inviting other people into that, that we're going to have someday when he's restored heaven and earth. So, um, that wellness, that thriving, that sense of well-being, regardless of our circumstances, there's common attributes, common characteristics of people who have that. And two of the top ones are gratitude and contentment. Mm-hmm. So gratitude, contentment, purpose, relationships, a sense of mission and uh, identity. Um, those are those are big keys into what we find. And so I've always been kind of, I don't know, blessed. I really can't take credit. It's just kind of how God's made my disposition that I don't I don't go too deep usually. I mean, you know, I just kind of, it is what it is. And um, sometimes I have to get out of my own head a little bit, but for the most part, um, it just, you know, I started understanding why those things make a difference as I did the mm-hmm. research. 
And so I've been much more intentional in my 40s and 50s about when something's going off the rails, I try to think, okay, now which one of these would apply and how can I move that up the scale? Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting when I was, I went to a workshop one time, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, I went to a workshop one time and they said, one of the exercises was, if you, there were three to five words that you could pick that you would want people to see you as. Like when I experienced Amber, this is how I would explain her. These, this, these words would be mm -hmm. the thing. Like, what are those that you want for yourself? And we had a little bit of time to ponder that, think about that. And uh, then we were supposed to go around and introduce ourselves to other people in the room that we never met before using our words. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> so you did it over and over and over again, which kind of ingrained it in you. And yeah. the words that I chose were faithful, fun, mm -hmm. wise, and kind. Like, that's how I would hope people would experience me as faithful, fun, wise, and kind. I, I had zesty in there instead of fun, but zesty just seems a little <laughs> over the top. Spicy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little too zesty. So <laughs> faithful, fun, wise, and kind. So really those all, the only way I can be those things is to stay rooted to the word. Like on a mm -hmm. daily basis, I need my, I don't know if you can see it or not, but I wear a little compass ring. Mm -hmm. And this compass ring is my reminder on my very first day of teaching high school, the principal called me into his office, you know, Christian high school and asked me which way my compass was pointing. And I told him, oh, I didn't know how to compass. And if I do, I don't know what direction it's pointing. <laughs> and he said, the best advice I can give you as you start your career, as you start your ministry is always keep your compass recalibrated every day on true north. Because when that lines up, when you keep Jesus true north, first and foremost, everything else will fall into place. So that's my little reminder when things start to get off kilter. Where's, where's my true north? Faithful, fun, wise, and kind. The only way I can be that is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, is through staying connected to God. And so um, I'm trying to remember what your question was, Amber. Well, actually, it's funny because I think at Thriving, I asked you about Thriving and I knew when I did. <laughs> I know how passionate you are about this. But I think the key here is whether you're married or single. Yeah. If right now you are sort of in the grind, just feeling the grind, not enjoying marriage or not enjoying your season of singleness. And you're wondering, what are the keys to thriving? And you said the first two were gratitude and contentment. And I want to break that down just a little bit, because if those are two of the major factors in thriving and being okay with where you're at, so gratitude is recognizing and being thankful for. Mm-hmm the things that God has given us. So just explain how you do that on a daily basis. Oh, awesome. So I'm a psychologist, right? So I really study the brain and, and educational psychologists, how the brain works. And the more you think a thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought. This, mm -hmm. We have these things in our brain called neurons and they connect. And when two neurons connect, you that's a thought happens, right? And so mm -hmm. we have these neural pathways, these connections through our brain. And our brain is malleable. It changes. The brain that you woke up this morning with will not be the same brain you go to sleep with tonight. And it changes based upon experiences that you have. And so the more you look for things to be grateful for, the more your brain literally rewires to look for things to be grateful for. The more you look for things to grumble about, you literally build neural pathways in your brain looking for things to be discontent and grumble about. And so just the, the, the practice that um, pray without ceasing, I think part of that pray without ceasing isn't just requests, but it's also gratitude. Just yes. as you're going through the day, how can I find those little things to say, oh, that was a treat. Thanks, Jesus. You know, uh, thanks. For, oh, I hadn't. 
that's a good one. Thanks. You know, just being yep. aware of, you know, a bird singing a sweet little pitch that you've not heard before and saying, oh, that was special, you know, or a sunrise. Or I oftentimes I try to remind myself there's somebody praying right now for something I'm taking for granted, right? Somebody prayed this morning for legs that would work when they got out of bed so they could walk yep. across the room, right? Um, I do a lot of work in lesser developed countries. I wash my car in cleaner water than some children will drink today. And it's amazing how many babies die around the world every day from diarrhea, from dirty water. Mm -hmm. And so that I can go to the tap and draw out clean water to drink. Wow, I don't want to take that for granted. I want to be grateful for that. There's a mom this morning walking three miles to go get water from a muddy yep. mud puddle for her family for the day. You know, so yep, um, all those little things. And then as followers of Jesus, I mean, who's there? The world is longing for peace, mm -hmm. right? And you and I have that peace that passes understanding. Um, how do I truly be grateful for that? Like, um, there's another passage that talks about whatever's good when, in Philippians, whatever's good, yeah. whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever's praiseworthy. And he's, and he's excellent. Think about those things and the God of peace will be with you. As you think about things, it changes. Uh, in Corinthians, it talks about take every thought captive and make. Oh, you got me started now, Amber. Sorry. In Corinthians, it talks <laughs> no. about take every thought captive and make it preach obedient. Preach it, Rhoda. <laughs> preach it because you have changed my life. I, I, I've told you, and I've told, I mean, Pastor Mike during our uh, Jude interview, Pastor Mike has changed my life with mm. his preaching and sitting under his feet and listening. And God is still God, no matter what's going on in your life, God is God. He deserves that respect, worship. Yeah. And you have are the other person who has changed my life in the biggest way in the last three years, because every single time, God bless you for sticking with our friendship, because <laughs> I would start to grumble. Hey, how you doing today, Amber? Well, I've got to go work in my yard. You'd be like, well, you're not in jail. A lot of people are in jail and would like to be able to go work in their yard. And there's a lot of people who can't move, Amber. So do you know how blessed you are that you can go move your body and work in your yard? Oh, and by the way, you have a house, which means you have a yard and you have children that want to enjoy and appreciate that. So, I mean, by the time you were done, I was like, oh my word, but you're right. I mean, I say that as if it's such a, you know, oh, you're right. Rhoda, you're right. But the more you find to be grateful for, the more you, I mean, everything is a reason to be grateful. 100%. If we're grumbly, you know, I think God always gives us a choice, right? You have the Israel's want, Israelites wandering in the desert. They had sandals that never wore out. They had food that was delivered to them. They had, they had welfare. They were protected from the, mm -hmm. the evil, you know, the places that they walked through that could have been violent and that all that taken care of for them. Were they going to be grateful? Were they going to say, you know, Lord, thank you for these sandals that never wear out. I'm so grateful. Right. Or were they, you know, I'm so sick of wearing these sandals. Could I get another pair one of these days, Lord? Or, you know, I'm so sick of eating quail. Could you send, you know, a turkey or something once in a while? I'm going to grow feathers right. if I have another quail, right? I mean, are we, are we, are we grateful or do we grumble? We always yeah. have that choice. And any circumstance you're at in life, when you want to go towards the grumble, just literally start to think what in here is a blessing. What's a, what is something in here that somebody else could actually want or long for or pray for? And if I can switch and start thinking about the more you do that, the easier it gets. 100%. Yeah. 100%. All of a sudden you're driving down the, the road and you're like, God, thank you for roads. And you see a quick trip and you're like, Oh, thank you for a quick trip. And I still remember the day that I was leaving work and I took my glasses off to clean them quick and I put them back on. I'm like, thank you for sight. 
Like so many things in the car that's driving on the road. That's, you know, just, you can't get away from it. You know, once you get into it, it just becomes such a part of what you are. I would say the one bad part about this. Which real quick can I say, it literally also changes your brain chemistry. So it's like a physiological thing that goes on. And the only bad thing about it is you start noticing when everybody else is grumbling, like, and it starts being, you know, like you want to, tell them to not grumble, but to look at all the grateful things. But I mean, that's the only bad side effect. But I want to I want to get back to contentment then because gratitude and contentment are such a big part of thriving. And so the gratitude is being grateful. Uh-huh. Contentment is partially being grateful for what you have, but it's also not wanting what you don't have, correct? Yeah, very good. Just real quick, back to that other point. I've been accused by a very, very dear fan of being nauseatingly positive. So, <laughs> so when you start, I would always, not say that. When you I always start putting the grumble switch, you might get accused of something, but it's worth it um, to to just look through the the look at life through the lens of gratitude. It makes such a difference. Yeah. But yeah, contentment is really closely related to grateful, but a little bit different. So contentment is. Being content with who God has made you and the gifts he's given you, it really plays into identity, right? Um, look at animals. Look at God's kingdom. God likes variety, right? How many kinds of flowers are there? How many colors of flowers are there? God could say you get yellow tulips. That's it. But, you know, how many how many colors? of There's different kinds of tulips now I learn. You know, there's just, he likes variety. When you look at animals, he doesn't just give us like, two kinds of dogs. He gives us all kinds of dogs. He gives us variety and grass. You know, you know, the Lord yeah. likes variety when he gives you different kinds of grass. Right. And so he's done that with us human beings. You know, we, we don't all have all the gifts, every gift, but we each have gifts to bring to the body of Christ. And it's that variety that makes it so beautiful and so rich. And so instead of wishing that I had somebody else's gift, like I really wish I had that gift, or instead of wishing somebody else had my gift, what do they call it? Gift envy or gift projection? Mm-hmm. So gift envy is, man, I wish I had Amber's gift. And gift projection is, man, I wish Amber would do this like I do this. Right. You project Why your can't gift she be more that. like me? It's super <laughs> annoying that she's not. So how do we not do either of those? And how do we and not compare ourselves to somebody else? Because when we compare ourselves to somebody else, typically we do one of two things. We either think we're not as good as or we're better than. Right. And neither of those are really God pleasing. So how do I just be thankful for the gifts God's given me, um, develop them to their full ability? Believe me, when we do that, we will be busy. We won't have time to wish we had somebody else's gifts because he's uniquely. I'm going to go back to my Ephesians 2, 10 and identity or uh, my Ephesians 2 with identity. Talked about the first part, how... Our value and worth comes completely from God by grace, through faith, free gift. But then we get to Ephesians 2.10 and it says, for we are God's workmanship, handiwork, some translations say, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for your life and he's given you the gifts he wants you to have to walk with you through your life and use that plan. And it's unique for each of us. Mm-hmm. You know, King David says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. If you've ever tried to knit, you have to be a perfectionist, right? If you mess up, you have to rip it out and redo it. Well, God is a perfectionist. He didn't make a mistake. He made you the right height, the right ability, the right characteristics, the right attributes for his purposes, not for your vanity or for your happiness. You know, it's mm-hmm. so the more, again, is 
is we think it's not about me. It's about how has God gifted the concept of vocation? How has God gifted me as I interact with other people, interface with them through relationship? How do I love them and serve them with the gifts God's given me and doing that in glory to God, which is really an act of worship? And that right there, all of this, the whole concept of thriving and including gratitude and contentment, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, um, lost a child, mm -hmm. um, any point in your life, those key concepts can help you to get out of the just being stuck in the I don't have this anymore mm -hmm. for those who are divorced or widowed or who have experienced great loss to looking at what can I be grateful for? What can I be content for today to move past one phase and get to the next, which is such a huge, huge thing if we can grasp that. Yeah, I love that point that you're making with that. So I have heard friends, family members, people that I really love say that they they want to be they don't want to be alone. They want to be married because they don't want to be alone when they're old. Like what mm. happens, you know, if I don't get married, who will take care of me when I'm old? What you know, who's gonna take care of you, Rhoda, when you're old? And we we have those conversations. And um I think it's important to realize that we're all going out of the world alone. You know, I mean, when the, none of us are guaranteed to die at the exact same time as our spouse, just about all of us, whether we've been married or not been married at the end of life, we will have friends and children and loved ones and family around, but we're alone. We've got to yeah. figure out how to, most of us will have to figure out how to do life alone at the end of life. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of a false sense of security, I think. And so how do I, how do I learn to be content and okay, regardless of my circumstance, wherever I'm at, if God chooses, you know, we, again, we're none of us are getting out of here alive and mm -hmm. we don't get to pick the chance, the time when that happens, right. That's going to be uh, God who determines that. And so he knows what's best for us. He knows what he wants to work through us. Amber, your Testament is so absolutely beautiful as you spend time with elderly people who are going through that stage and you're there with them, you're caring for them, you're loving them, you're being kind and, you know, carry, seeing them as a human being and loving them. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. God knows that somebody out there needs you to be that for them. Right. And, and there were people, you know, they might be exactly what you need. And you stop into somebody's room every once in a while, cause you need time with that person and what they, you need each other, yeah. even though, it's a different relationship than a husband and a wife would be, or a child mm -hmm. and a, a parent would be. So God knows what we need. He sets up our times, our circumstances. So how do I, it really comes down to trusting him. Do I trust him or do I want to be in control? Because if I want to be in control, I'm setting up expectations that are going to disappoint me mm -hmm. and he has proven trustworthy. And so how do I just trust him that, you know, I may not love this. He doesn't tell us we have to love every circumstance in our life, but how do we trust it? and trust him and be grateful and content regardless of our circumstances. And I think yeah. the only way we can do that is by turning to him on our own. We don't have the strength. It's mm -hmm. only by staying connected to him through the word that we have the strength to be able to do that. Yeah. He can and will provide yeah. and he maybe will provide through a nursing assistant yeah. or a cook or another person at the nursing home be who becomes your friend who, you know, yeah, I agree. I just would absolutely affirm what you said in terms of, yeah. If you're trusting that your spouse is going to be with you at the end, pretty much everybody at the nursing home 
either they are too ill to be at home with their spouse or their spouse has already died and they yeah. are left alone and it is God providing for them through different means. Mm-hmm. So well said. And I know some people end up in a divorce that they didn't want and yes. in a life circumstance that they don't want, that they didn't ask for, that they weren't expecting. And I can't imagine how hard that has to be. And at the same time, how do I find a way to be grateful for what I had? Am I grateful that I had that experience? Am I grateful that I had children? Am I grateful you know, for what that is? And then what can I be grateful for now? It's different. It's a different season. It looks different. My mother uh, was interesting after my father passed away. She was a young widow in her 60s. She was widowed. And uh, she just kind of there again was content. I mean, she missed dad and she would have loved to have had more time with him. Uh, they had bought an RV and we're going to travel and, you know, would have loved to have had more time with him, but she was also content realizing now I can do some stuff that I couldn't do when I was married. And she developed some different types of friendships. She developed, had different experiences. Um, I took her on an international trip that, you know, I mean, we just did different things. It wasn't better. It wasn't worse. It was just different. And so how do I find what I can do? There again, assets based in in the world of education with kids. We like to say, not deficits. Don't look at what they don't have. Look at what they do have and build upon that. And I think in life in general, whether you're young or single or divorced or married or whatever your circumstance, what assets do you have? have? What has God given you? And how do you build upon those and Mm -hmm. find contentment and gratitude in that and not wish your life away, wishing you had what he's blessed somebody else with? That's really... And when it's, it's kind of almost like slapping God in the face, like, God, you've given me this, but I want that. Like, how would you feel as a parent? You know, that would, that wouldn't feel good. So God knows what we need. He's given us what we need. And instead of saying, I know better, instead say, thank you, Lord. I don't quite get this, but help me to get it. Yep. So when I look at you, I see your friends are fiercely loyal to you. I mean, I, we've had this conversation before that you can count on two hands plus the deep friendships you have in your life. You, you don't mm-hmm. have just a few kind of acquaintance, like friends, like you have a, a entourage of good, deep, solid friends. Mm-hmm. Do you think being single has anything to do with the depth of friendship that you have? I mean, because clearly mm-hmm. you have invested in your relationships So do you think that has anything to do with being single or just more to do with your personality and just cherishing the people that are around you? It's such a beautiful question to ponder. First off, I'm so very grateful you're one of them. So thank you. Ditto. Being a cherished, cherished friend. Um, And I think it's probably a combination to some degree. Um, I am able to, I have time that a lot of my married Mm -hmm. friends don't have. You know, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, uh, that just, that takes a significant amount of time and energy. I don't have that. And so I can devote a lot to my ministry and to my work, and I can devote a lot to my friendships. And I think it's important for those of us who are single to learn not to keep score in friendships, mm-hmm. to realize that friendships are different. And right. sometimes you're going to be, you know, I have, I have one friend that when she turned 50, she had a shower and all of her brothers had to buy gifts for her because she had gone to all of their weddings and baptisms <laughs> and confirmations and kids' birthdays and bought all these gifts. And she says, it's my turn, y'all. You need to get me some appliances. <laughs> so her brothers hilarious. Her appliances. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not about keeping score in that way. It's not about, you know, I always go to their house or I always yeah. go meet when they're able to meet or happy heart again. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh what works. And now what's so rich in that I believe being single has allowed me to invest very deeply in my friends and they've invested very deeply in me. And it's just been a been a beautiful thing. I but part of it's just a blessing from God. I mean, it's like right. If you have a full quiver of kids, I've got a full quiver of friends, and it's a <laughs> tremendous blessing. Uh, yes, you do, and you have a friend who sucks at. <laughs> I'm sorry, should I say that? Stinks at hospitality, but loves coming to your house. And <laughs> oh, I love coming to your house. And here's what's really fun too: is I'm getting older in this new season of life. With uh, some of my friends now have kids who I who are older, who I've become friends with, and so it's so sweet. One of my best friends from college their daughter just graduated from college and she called me up not too long ago and said, Aunt Rhoda, would you go to Ireland with me next summer? Are you, <laughs> so, are you going? I, oh, hands down. <laughs> me and Holly next June. <laughs> I love that. So, it's so much fun. Now there's like generational friendships going on and I can be really good friends with their kids, which is just a, I'm like a grand friend instead of a grandparent. I'm like a grand friend. You are. And Holly is going to come back changed, very, very changed in all the best ways. So that is amazing. So from what I see, as I've been with you, you are very, very at ease walking into a room. You're very comfortable with yourself. There's just never been a time that I see you as like, oh, I I don't want to go into that room because I'm alone. You know, is that something that you ever struggled with, you know, we said the plus one, you know, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of events that you go to in, are there times that you feel uncomfortable or is that just not a thing for you? No, there are times like with the plus one, you're kind of like, okay, is there an odd number? Do they now have to fill an empty seat at the (laughs) table or do you bring somebody who really doesn't know them and they're paying $50 for a meal for somebody they don't know so that I don't feel uncomfortable, you know, that's right. And I've oftentimes found if I go solo, I actually have more conversations with other people there and get people to, than if I feel like I have to take a friend who's not, doesn't know them and isn't really comfortable. And so that's awkward. It's always like, okay, what's best in this situation where if you just, if you have a spouse, you just have that built in. Right. But I suppose there are other things there like he doesn't want to go or he doesn't want to talk, whatever it might be. No, that never happens, Rhoda. That's all in your imagination. (laughs) Again, there's always circumstances. There's always positives right. and negatives. So, of course, there are times, you know, living alone. It's it's not, you know, I had my, my mother lived with me for a very long time. She had health mm-hmm. issues after my father passed away. And, it, and my nephew lived with me for a while. And so it was kind of weird coming home. And the house is pretty quiet at night. You know, I have a little dog who's yeah. just a beautiful, wonderful companion. But, you know, it's cheaper to live with somebody else. You know, I have all the full costs with one income, where if you have two incomes, you know, it helps with that. I don't have the expensive children, so that's a little bit different. But um, so there's that dynamic that goes on. There's, you know, I've thought about as I get older, do I get a roommate? But as a Christian woman, you can't have a male roommate. And if you have a female roommate, that brings up questions now. So it's just like, how do you navigate that? When you travel, you can always travel cheaper for two people than for one person. So, you know, there are those little things, but I think there's enough blessings. Those are just the things you have to navigate. They're not like horrible things. They're just things, circumstances Mm -hmm. that you have to figure out how to navigate. So it's, um, for the most part, again, if I go into a room if I'm thinking, oh, it's about me and I have to people, make people like me and I have to try to impress people or I have to try to not feel awkward. If I'm focusing on me, it's miserable. Right. If I just pray before I go in saying, Lord, I don't know who's going to be here, but you do. And if there's somebody here you want me to meet, if there's a conversation you want me to have, you know, just let me 
glorify you in what I do and what my conversations are. And then the pressure's on him. <laughs> yes. And you know what? He always comes through. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. I've always said I could talk to a stop sign. You put me at a stop sign and I'm like, hey, how you doing? What you been up to lately? <laughs> so you know what? The nursing home, I don't, I don't, I always have someone to talk to. Maybe they don't even want me to talk to them, but I'm talking to them. So, you know, um, I'm kind of that way too. I, to yeah. me, it just doesn't feel, but I'm, I'm not an introvert either. So mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. that has something to do with it, the whole personality mm -hmm. too. But mm -hmm. yeah, you spent a lot of time, you've alluded to, you've said it too, that you spent a lot of time as the Dean of Students um, working with young people. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you have for young women, especially? Because I think young women, the whole Disney thing, right? And, and like you said, the romantic comedies, like they get this instilled in their head that they have to go away to college and they're going to meet their, their perfect guy. And if mm -hmm. they get out of college and they haven't met him yet, what's wrong? Then they better move to a new city and maybe that first job it's going to be there. And, and when that doesn't happen, it seems like, wait, why, why aren't things happening the way I think on my timeline and you get to be 27 and you're thinking, <gasps> you know, panic, panic, panic. Whereas now I'm more like, you know, God's time and God's way. But what advice do you have for young women yeah, who are starting to navigate and look at their future plans? Such a beautiful question. And it's really similar to, you know, what we talked about before with career advice, but a little bit nuanced, a little bit differently. And that now everybody, you know, the summer after graduation is the summer of weddings, right? Yes. And then one or two years after the summer of the weddings is the summer of babies, you know, right. and, and so it's like the world's leaving them behind and you know, what, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? Why isn't this happening? And it's real, you know, and there can be like a panic that sits in and, and a insecurity or a frustration or an anger or, you know, different people have it. And it's, it's, it's an honest feeling. So yeah. feel those emotions. That's okay. Um, but just always try to turn back to the word as our true North recalibrate our compass on God's will for your life. And again, how do I, um, how do I be content until he's got the, I don't want to be with the wrong person. Right? right. I don't want to raise a child with a person that I don't see eye to eye on in my faith. I don't want to, I mean, raising children is hard enough, but then to not agree on the basics or to not be on that same page or, you know, the conviction that we're in this through thick and thin, regardless, this is a promise that we're making for the rest of our life. Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to do that with somebody that's not all in either, you know? And right. so even if, even if it feels, you know, a lot of you know, you, you fall in love or you fall in infatuation and those chemicals go off and they're the first yeah. person you think of when you wake up and the last person you think of when you go to sleep and your heart rushes when they walk into the room and your palms get sweaty. And those are real, real feelings. And we want more of that. And it feels so good whether they're the right person or they're not the right person. Right. And so we have to be with them long enough to realize, it, you know, is this a falling in love or am I choosing to stand in love with this person and they're choosing to stand in love with me? And then we can build that future on that. So until you find that, what else can you do? You know, right now you can travel. You, you don't have commitments. You don't have obligations. You can take your vacation time and spend money on things. You know, I had a friend who was single and another friend was giving her a really hard time about all her traveling. And I won't say exactly what she said, but basically you get to have children. I get to travel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, both are blessings, but how do we be content with, with what, where we are and what we have? And so mm -hmm. it's hard. And again, can't do it on our own. 
we can take no credit for this. This is not, this is impossible for human beings to can, be content in these situations because by nature, we're going to be discontent. It's only when we keep recalibrating that compass to God's will. God knows what I need. And I think over time it gets easier because we learn that God is trustworthy. Right. You know, when you're, when you're 20, 21, you just haven't had that many experiences where God, you have seen hands down how you yeah. can trust him and thy will, not my will be done. As you get older, <laughs> he's proven trustworthy and it just gets easier to trust him. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're just asking young people to trust you as right. you've been in it, as you're an influence on them to help them see that God has proven trustworthy in my life. And here's how he, this way and this way and this way. And I'm 100% certain he's trustworthy in your life too. Just give it a try. Just, just mm -hmm. trust him and see how he provides. Last thing, you know, the early Christian church in Acts 2, we hear about widows not being fed. And so I just want to ask if there's anything that you see that the church could do differently for single people. And again, I'm talking not just people who've never been married. I'm talking about divorcees. I'm talking about widows. Is there anything that the church could maybe do differently to serve those people better? I just, I love your heart, Amber. Um, I think in my experience, loneliness is probably the big one for widows and that they've always had that, per like watching my mother, she had said the first, the first two or three months, everybody's asking, it's on top of yeah. everybody's mind. Everybody's offering help. What can we help you with? Two or three months pass and rightly so everybody else's life goes back to what it used to be mm -hmm. and your life will never be the same again. So how do we at the six month mark, the year mark, the year and a half mark, you know, if they have children around nearby and they're doing stuff that, but still it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, I loved right. it when I was at the, the college, uh, it was amazing to me how many colleagues, coworkers invited me to their house on holidays or for a weekend or, you yeah. know, just being cognizant and aware of, I did not have any relatives in the state of Wisconsin. So if it wasn't a, if it was a, a holiday and I wasn't traveling out of state, who was I going to be with? Where was I going to go? Sometimes I chose a very quiet solitude Christmas Eve home alone. And that's what I wanted. That was what I was in the mood for. But other times it was very nice to go to a friend's house on Christmas day or Thanksgiving day or whatever. So be aware, just, I guess, just be mindful of their circumstances and not to like put a sweeping, everybody wants this. Yeah. But just kind of ask them, you know, how, are you, how, and not just in the first couple of months, but follow up five years down the road, six years down the road. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would be a very loving, compassionate thing that would that would make a difference. And uh, yeah, no preconceived notion, notions. Just spend time with them, talk to them. You know, the root of the word compassion, we've talked about this, Amber, is to suffer with. Yeah. And I think sometimes you can't fix anybody's circumstance. You can't solve it. You can't make it better. What they're in is hard. But we mm -hmm. can make sure they're not alone. We can just yeah. suffer with them. They don't have to be alone in doing this. They've got somebody walking with them. And I think at the end of the day, that's what the Christian church does, right? It's what Jesus did for us. He came and walked with us, took our place, you know, so that now because he loved us, we can love others in that same mm -hmm. way. And just we walk close to Jesus. We invite other people to walk closer to Jesus and we do life together. The good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, um, all leaning on him as our true north. Rhoda, just, um, I know that you're a huge dog lover and that you've mm -hmm. had dogs. And do you think that the companionship you have with a pet, can that in any way decrease the loneliness that you feel in a single season? 100%. 
100%. Um, now, I'm a big dog lover, and not everybody's a dog lover. I've had a cat. I've had fish. Fish were <laughs> companions at one time in my life. And yes. Told them good morning and good night every day. You know, I, I just, to me, to come home to an empty condo with nothing is just, I, I, then I do struggle with, I just need mm-hmm. something, a, a noise, a greeting, a, you know, and so for me, having animals has been, I had a 17 year old beagle that I said goodbye to a couple of years ago and a 17 year old cat that had been my mom's that I had, had been with me the whole time. And so, um, when they were gone, I lasted about five months. And then yeah. I just, I had to fish during that time, but I needed something more than their wiggly tails. And so I um, got another animal, but yes, 100% for some people, it's not going to be helpful for everybody, but um, it might be a strategy if you're struggling with loneliness mm-hmm. um, and the quietness to have that little happy thing greet you at the door when you get home, uh, warm fuzzies for me. So yeah, that might, might be really helpful for some. It is for me. Especially maybe in a, you know, a changing season, like a divorce or something like that, where, you know, you're struggling just a lot. That might be just a little thing. I mean, it's not, it's not an easy thing to get into. You have to make sure you're ready for the commitment, but it may be a useful tool. I like that you use little thing. (laughs) It comes out of me all the time. (laughs) It's a wonderful little thing that might make your life richer. It's certainly not mine. Yeah. It's been a big thing that's made my life really richer. So yeah, well, thanks for know, thinking of that. Little things yeah. are the big things, Rhoda. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I think so many things that you said today are can be so helpful to people who maybe haven't looked at their singleness as a gift or a blessing or even um, just not something that needs to be fixed. And I, I hope that people hear this today and realize just how fulfilling and content and joy-filled life can be no matter where you are for all of us, no matter what season we're in, what's going on in our life. um, We have lots of choices about how to react to the things that are going on in our life. So refreshing to talk to you. It always is, but thank you so much for being here and to speaking into my listeners. Thank you for caring about this conversation. Love you. Love you too.